can I propose uh, names that that could be canon? Yeah. Oh, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, if it's if it's us making up names for baby dragons and you pretending like they're canon because I happen to be here, I mean, that's (laughs) fine. Yeah. All right. I I think I think it should be threeless, fourthless, and fiveless. Oh goddamn it! Classic. I don't know what we expected. And then I guess but, yeah. Life Fairy's Wonthless, and then you got the full collection. Wonthless? If you need names, you, there you go. Hey everyone, welcome to Dragon Academy Dropouts, the podcast bringing you your weekly dive into the DreamWorks Dragons universe. We are so excited to be back. It's been a hot minute, but we're back celebrating not only episode 50 of our show, but we also have a very special guest with us this week, Dane Stogner from DreamWorks Animation. He's worked on all of, hello, all of the How to Train Your Dragon films and many more and was supervising animator for Toothless. Dane, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. How are you guys? Awesome. Doing great. So excited to talk about dragons with you and your other projects and whatever you want to talk about because you are the Night Fury expert, or one of them at least, right? That's what they say. Yes, one of them. Uh, There are a few of us, but I am the most recent. Nice. So Max, if you have toothless questions, this is the time. Just me. Or anyone, but well, I mean, I'll begin if you, if if you want me to begin, I can do it. We know Go you have a it. burning question. I do have a burning question. <laughs> I think I think get it um, out of your system. I think we need to start with the really important, you know, in depth questions, the ones that are hard to answer, maybe, and then and then work to the more light hearted ones. So this is a, a question from the reappearing visitor, and it is: What are the bumps on Toothless's ears for? <laughs> The ones on the back of his ears, the little uh, I'm I'm little mini I'm sure nuts. actually whether it's which bumps, but I think that's probably those are the bumps, right? Um, the, yeah, the the little. I mean, I'm certainly interested in knowing what on those the are underside for. of his ears. Um, you see, those are little miniature suction cups that keep his ears stuck to his neck while he's flying for aerodynamics. I, it could be oh. that, or or it could just be they're for visual interest. So can he can he detach the entire ear? No, no, it's firmly affixed to his skull. <laughs> Every nub has a story. It's Thank true, you, and I I want to I, I want to point out that I did not have controls. I had thousands and thousands of controls on this character, but I could not control the little nubs that were added on Dragon Two. His little chin nubs, his stubble, no. <laughs> Those, those they were uncontrollable. <laughs> uncontrollable nubs. <laughs> Did you you didn't add them for Dragon Three, right? No, same no. number of nubs. Same number of nubs, and still uncontrollable. <laughs> <laughs> still uncontrollable. I asked. Uh, they had like two years to give me nub control, but I guess they had other characters to rig, like you know, a villain and new dragons and all that good stuff. So. Nubs Light Fury. Were certainly busy. Yeah. Did so. Here's another question. Light Fury. 
was Toothless News as sort of a starting point for Life Fury, or was that sort of just completely different? And it's like if you were if you were to work with Life Fury, it would be just a completely different uh, animation experience. Um. Well, yes and no. The there were a lot of technological advancements in our rigging department between Dragon Two and Dragon Three. Um, so there were some aspects to her rig that worked differently than Toothless's rig. Her model would have been made from scratch. The rig, the bones, the bones and stuff, the base, the base rig would have been Toothless's sort of reformed, resized to fit her. But there's still a bunch of work that they have to do after that. I don't know how much time they really saved doing that. But uh, yeah, so it was a bit different. Like she had different head squash and stretch kind of controls than Toothless had had. Uh, There's probably more, but yeah, similar experience, but a bit different. Like for example, some characters you can uh, use the facial pose library or any part of the pose library across different characters and get a half decent result. Um, But their, their faces were generationally completely different and all the controls did different things. So we could not use his face library on her. Oh, so that's another question I have. I know this is not at all one of the questions, but here's another question. So I, I've seen like when you're working with Primo, right? You have yeah. the ability to kind of have these, uh, is, it, is, it sort of, is this what you mean by the facial pose library? These yes. uh, sort of preset faces. Are those things that you can kind of as an animator go in and say, actually, I really like this expression. Or is that part of the rigging process? It's part of the animation process. So the rigging department d- delivers us a mm-hmm. neutral rig um and then we pose pose it all day and so it was my job to make a library for toothless's face it was um he was a brand new toothless for dragon 2 and primo so i did one pass of it for that movie and got all the basic face stuff that we would need and some and some expressions but for dragon 3 i went through and grabbed all of what I felt were the most useful faces from Dragon 2 and put them in the library for Dragon 3 and fixed them up and made sure that they were all using the same controls. And, you know, that something that was cheated to camera was fixed, like a cheek that was pulled out six inches just to be kind of seen from a certain camera angle. Fixed that stuff up. But yeah, we had a lot more to work with in Dragon 3 because of it. And so you can say, uh, yeah, I like that face. But you can also decide to only apply to selected. So, hey, I like those ears on that face. I'll just apply some of that. And you can do it with percentages. So it's not just 100% I want that ear pose. You can blend it. So um, it's kind of like working with a palette. So So can you be like... All these expressions, I can say a little bit of this mad and a little bit of this sad and a little bit of this neutral and and craft a custom face every time, but using all of the range that we have. So you can take a toothless and you can say, I want the left side to be 200% happy. And then the right side to be negative, wait, negative 200% sad would not necessarily be happy again. It would just be weird. You can do that. And you may have seen Jay Baruchel destroying toothless's face. Oh, is that what he's doing? We did. So it's very easy to break them and make them look ridiculous like that. Takes moments. Since we're talking about Toothless right now, let's stay on the Toothless role here. Any of you that have Toothless questions right now want to jump to those? I have one. 
you're the toothless expert. Can you tell us something about him that we wouldn't know? The more canon, the better. Oh. Only canon around here. Yep. Hmm. Something you wouldn't know. You guys know a lot. <laughs> um, let's see. He... I can think of a few things. Um, one is kind of questionably canon because it was written by Dean, but it didn't make the final cut. Um, but the animation inspired by it is in the final cut. So in Dragon 2, at some point, Valka said something about... When she was talking to Hiccup about, uh, you know, I can teach you everything I know about dragons, and, and she reveals the split spikes, and there used to be a line in there where she said, I can, you can even uh, read their thoughts. That eventually came out, but while that was still in the movie, I was animating opening scene of Toothless riding Hiccup and Dragon... Or <laughs> <laughs> Hiccup riding Toothless uh, in... In the beginning of Dragon 2, when he has his mask on and everything. And the first... Maybe it's not the first. There's a close-up of the two of them after they fly past the thunder drums. Um, where they're kind of... It's 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 like it's kind of like there's a GoPro looking at both their faces. And they're doing some banking and stuff like that. And because of that line, I copied Toothless's eye animation and pasted it on, tooth on Hiccup's eyes and got the shapes right. But basically I have their eye direction changes happening exactly at the same time, implying that Hiccup was already sort of mind-melding with Toothless before he even realized he could do it. So, oh, wow. I don't know. There's yeah. that. <laughs> That's on screen. Synced up eye cool. motion. Because they're... Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Frame by frame, too. Yeah. Um, another, I don't know how canon this is, but if Toothless's eyeballs were spheres, a third of those spheres would be poking through the roof of his mouth. We have to have a special control to smash them back up <laughs> through the oh. roof of his mouth. <laughs> so you That's have an eye smash like control. Are. That's... It's 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 automatic, you know. We don't have to think about it. Oh, okay. The eyeballs are smashed back up through the roof of the mouth because they'd be too big. I mean, I guess that's another question, another toothless question, which is, uh, so you probably know toothless and and you know the the rig fairly well. Are there some weird things that you can control that maybe we wouldn't expect? Oh, like his eyeballs smashing, <laughs> like the eyes smashing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we had a f we had this contour cage around his whole body to where I could, you know, reshape him entirely. I could have made a, uh, a chubby toothless, or a nice, <laughs> nice, or I don't know, give him a series of horns down his back. I don't know, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in there. Like his split spikes, for example, are not in the primary rig. They're stunt spikes when we need them. It's like a little piece of geo huh. uh, play-dohed onto his back. Oh, so it's it's like a it's an additional thing that you have to attach to him. Yeah, it's for those special shots where there's where you can see them splitting open. There's huh. like a already yeah. There's a split spikes special toothless that we'll install for those kind of shots. But usually it's just the regular spikes toothless. Is that also how the saddle works? Or yeah, is the saddle like completely there's variance? Separate? 
Yeah. You can turn, you can hide the saddle, but I, they give us, there was a different variant for uh, new, new tail toothless and naked toothless and uh, toothless with saddle, all that good stuff. So, um, While we're still on the topic of the animation side of, of toothless right now, um, I do have one more question. It's uh, from a user called dragons are amazing. And they wanted to know that how much time does it take to animate about five minutes of Toothless? <laughs> um, well, over the course of many years and two films, I've barely animated five minutes of footage total. So I could do some math. Who wants how many to do some animators? Math? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. How many animators work well. on the film? Um, it's like animators, a rough number. Uh, about f- uh, in the towards the end, about forty-five. Um, but there's a good long stretch where it's about thirty, and for the first six months or so, we were just five or six of us. Wow. Let's see, six times. <laughs> I'll let you do 16. the math before I ask you my next question. Yeah, this is gonna be good. Um, oh are you actually computing the amount of time it would take for the five minutes yeah i think the person who asked this didn't really realize how much five (laughs) minutes of like that's a huge amount of work Mm -hmm. okay so if we're doing it's about four about four seconds a week (laughs) so who wants to continue that math into five minutes Five times sixty. How many weeks in a year? Divide by four. <laughs> oh, so seventy-five weeks. Whew. And that's not counting Christmas vacation or something like that. So yeah, you could animate toothless shots for seventy-five weeks and get five minutes, I guess. The hustle never stops. Wow. <laughs> How do you guys divvy up who animates which scenes? Is there someone who passes out the assignments? Or, yeah, so that, um, the first person to take a crack at that is the head of animation, uh, in our case, Simon Otto. And he would take things into consideration, like what's available from layout, um, how much work is on each person's plate already, uh, who has a certain amount of expertise with which kind of characters, who has a stylistic uh, tendency towards a type of tone of a shot. You know, it could be a funny shot or it could be a serious shot. Um, most DreamWorks animators can handle anything you throw it in front of them because most of them have been there 10, 15 years. Um, but people have their strengths and people have desires to work on different things. So he has to keep all that in his head with the ultimate goal of getting the movie done and uh, take a crack at that. He might ask the supervising animators what they think about his first pass, and uh, and then he'll then it'll be done, and it'll be cast. And sometimes that'll shift for reasons, but uh, yeah, that's how. So what I've heard uh, is that uh, sort of this idea of having sort of people who specialize in certain characters and having character leads is kind of unique to this film, right? At least the way that it's implemented. Is that correct? Um, every show is a little bit different. I can only really speak for how DreamWorks does it. Um, I, I 
I know secondhand how some other studios do it for different shows, but uh, at DreamWorks, each head of animation kind of decides how they want to run their things, and that can translate to when and how you get notes, you know, who you're getting notes from. But on our show, we did character-centric um, leadership so that because some of the characters were really complicated, really hard to keep on model, and we just Simon wanted somebody to oversee each character. So for me, it was Toothless and and uh, Dragon One and Two. It was Jakob Jensen for Hiccup, and then Fabio took over for him on Dragon Three. But one of the soups, Sean, had to take on all of the teens, not Astrid. Or the all of the sort of. Uh, I guess you'd call them secondary teens. I, I feel like that's not giving them enough credit. But, uh, yeah, you know, fish legs and the twins. So pretty much the whole main group, other than Hiccup and Astrid. Yeah, so, and then and then another supervisor used to be in charge of Stoic, but Fabio also took over from there. But that supervisor, Kristoff, did come back and animate most of the Stoic shots on Dragon 3. Even though he wasn't on the show the whole time, he came in for that. Yeah, um, but but it's not unique to dragons at the studio. Uh, right now, I'm on Trolls World Tour, and each of the main characters has a point person uh, that's a supervisor. Yeah, so it's sometimes a character is shared by a few people. Sometimes it's just based on sequences, but usually it kind of happens pretty naturally that there's a lead on a character because somebody's having to go through and do the library work and the test shots to figure out how to use the character in the first place. And I guess that person often tends to be who they've chosen to lead the character. I had a question um, kind of related to the process. This was um, a question sent to us by Caroline Fears. We wanted to know if there's any unofficial quote unquote rules for animating toothless or dragons in general. I guess one of those is they can't have eyeballs that protrude into their mouths. But are there any other like kind of like rules of thumb that you'd have to keep in mind? I mean, I feel like that's more more general than just dragons about the eyeballs. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch, a whole bunch. We have a multi-week flight school just to work out work out the rules and the understanding of the physics of flight um, when it comes to natural creatures. So there's a lot of rules just in flight mechanics. Um, I feel like I would consider those to be more official rules. Yes. Are there any unofficial rules? Like no matter what you do, even though there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do this, do not have toothless do blank. Um, (laughs) Well, toothless cannot dab. He's not allowed to dab. <laughs> Just That's you wait. Maybe, maybe maybe he will dab soon. I don't know. Mm. Um, I hope not. Well, I mean, there's a few. It's official and unofficial is uh, kind of a, I don't know. That's sort of a gray area, I guess. But yeah, there's some little things you might might not think of. I tried to catch every instance uh, in Dragon 3 with this, but I always want toothless's teeth to be hidden unless he's unless he's aggressive or fighting or attacking uh somebody um i anytime he would interact with hiccup i wanted him to not have his teeth shown or have them retracted 
hiccups because he's he's hiccups toothless, right? So yeah, he doesn't need to bear his fangs for uh, he he doesn't need to bear his fangs around hiccup, so he doesn't. Let's see, unofficial rules. There's a anything <laughs> I mean, that like on are... a on like a stylistic note where you're just like he could do this, I guess, but I don't want him to do it. Oh <laughs> yeah, um, that can that can that can kind of manifest in acting choices. It's a real fine line that we try to ride of being faithful to him being a natural animal and uh, and not be trying to anthropomorphize his acting. It's it's really tough to do. You know, a lot of a lot of animators, especially at a place that doesn't do a lot of feature creature work. Um, a lot of them will, will naturally go towards some acting choices that might have worked in the past, but on Toothless, um, it kind of breaks his animal feeling, you know. Like, this, finding a sad Toothless is very, very hard. And one thing that I, I remember having to emphasize a lot is that a lot of his attitude and expression comes through his body language instead of his face. Because... I mean, if you, if any of you have pets, the the faces of they're not all that expressive. I mean, you you come to learn what they are expressing, but it's usually more about their body language and the and whether or not they're looking at you in the face. You know, the angle of their head, the angle of their ears, tells you a lot more about an animal's mood than what their eyebrows are doing. But not so. the angle of the nubs, because we can't control the kind of, <laughs> of the nubs. Yeah, Uncontrollable. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So That's actually, um, a bunch of people actually really wanted to know about um, how the behavior of real animals was incorporated when animating Toothless. Uh, HCSP1, Tetra, FYKE, <laughs> and Anonymous, an unknown quantity of anonymous users. Um, so I guess there's, there's part of the answer right there is they, they don't have as, as expressive faces, toothless or the rest of the dragons. Um, And and you, and if you make them too expressive, they start feeling too cartoony, too human. Right. Um, There are some ideas that, you know, we had to sell because they came through the storyboard, the script. So, uh, when, when toothless is hanging from Grimmel's airship, um, and, They've just after Grimmel has captured him, and the the crowd of dragons is coming to the rescue. There's a close up where Toothless has to like suggest to the flock, uh, "Follow, follow me, peacefully. You know, don't attack anymore. Follow, follow me. We'll we'll have to figure something else out." And that and and he's already he's all tied up, and all we have is his face and a head angle. So. We tried to do the most animalistic, like, head point, you know, like, over there, um, with a little roar and hope it read, <laughs> because we didn't want to go any further than that with an anthropomorphic kind of gesture, so. It read, don't worry. Okay. And that's, that it. was one of the furthest, I think, that we, we had to go. For the most part, we, we look at a lot of um, animal videos for reference, a lot of big cats and people playing with their dogs or their rabbits um 
for the mating dances. The birds. Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> I went on a I went on a quest to find all sorts of weird animal uh, courtship rituals, and some that may have not even been courtship courtship rituals. Um, <laughs> yeah, and tried to sort of recreate them in a toothlessy way for the the mating dance. Uh, the tippy tap thing he's, when he has his um, he's his head's low and he's tippy tapping with his feet in the sand mm-hmm. that was inspired by I think a sage grouse I think it's called um, the other ones were obvious like people knew the um, the birds of paradise stuff obviously um, because that stuff is some seriously iconic nature videos <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a sage grouse, I think. I was just it called Googled a prairie it. king? It's Might fur, a prairie so king. interesting. But it I mean, does this fur. little stompy stomp with its feet, with its head low, and moves around like it's uh, one of those little wind-up toys, and I thought that was fun. <laughs> so I tried to recreate that a bit. And then the umbrella bird. I don't, I don't think it's called an umbrella bird, but the one that uses its wings to shade the water so it can see fish. I was inspired by that animal, and a, and a lot, and when when Toothless is playing with Hiccup, and and they're sort of uh, when he's bounding around and pouncing him, I know the the animators definitely looked at a lot of people playing with their big dogs just to sort of be able to recreate that feeling, and I think they were successful doing so because it feels like a feels like a big pet. Yeah, absolutely, definitely feels pet like. Um, I joke a lot that my dog is toothless because he has black fur and no teeth how many people when when you when you say i work on toothless how many people say oh yeah my insert pet here is toothless is that like the first thing people say because when i talk talk about toothless they're like oh yeah that i remember that film that's my dog (laughs) i don't think that's ever uh, it might have happened once. It's not something that happens to me frequently. Um, I have seen a lot of people online saying, hey, look, my cat is exactly toothless or my dog. Uh, I love that people connect with it that way. Um, can, I think that's why people love the love the characters because uh, it's, it's relatable and honest in those ways, despite being a dragon and Vikings. I don't know. I would say a lot of the time, if it comes up and people ask me what I do and I tell them I animate toothless, most of the time it's a, Oh, cool. And, and about maybe about a half of the time it's on what? (laughs) 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 Um, maybe I'm not talking to the right people. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you need to go to, don't worry, go to, uh, there's a whole, this this is reminding me, there's a whole Reddit, uh, cats named toothless. Um, <laughs> I think I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I have. I'm looking that up right now. I'm gonna people post it. their cats, which are all black and all with green eyes, and some. And they're all named toothless. Some <laughs> some have even tails and stuff. Like, wow. do they cut part of the tail off just for? I hope not. That's kind of a fan fiction trope where you've got to make toothless an animal if it's a modern one, at least. So they're like, "All right, how do we?" This sounds bad. But, like, how do we give him a disability that reflects missing the <laughs> right. tail fin in the movie? Right. So it's either, like, you know, missing a part of the tail or the paw, something like that. But it seems like, uh, speaking of cats and toothless, not only do you 
like go out and find footage, but sometimes you create stuff as well, right? Yeah. Um, especially, uh, and I don't know. I mean, so I I know sort of a bit about this, but I think people maybe listening don't. I've I've heard about uh, uh using cats for reference footage in Gift of the Night Fury, um, and uh, then of course there's the scene where Hiccup jumps into the water in Dragon One. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was cool. Right. Okay. So in both of those instances, you're talking about reference shot by Mr. Ron Bucciarelli, another toothless expert who, uh, was, was, who helped us out with Dragon 1 and Dragon 2. Um, so I, I've been in charge of, of toothless for Dragon 2 and Dragon 3. On Dragon 1, um, he was led by two animators. Prim- I would say primarily Gabe Hordos and also Cassidy Curtis. And I know that Gabe got a kitten for the movie. Like, he knew that he was going to have to be animating these uh, these characters, these cat-like dragon characters. And so he got himself a cat for the so that he could be familiar. That's a good that's, excuse. That's the most amazing, like... That's great. I hope DreamWorks is like, yeah, we'll pay for cat food. Oh, no, absolutely not. But they do pay for our food, which is cool. Um, I mean, that's probably better. Yeah, so the um, so yeah, Gabe got a cat, but you were asking specifically about uh, Ron's reference of a cat for Gift of the Night Fury. Yeah, he, Ron had a couple cats, and uh, he had to do a shot where Toothless got a new tail, and was kind of weirded out by it. It was a new feeling and didn't know what to make of it. So, uh, yeah, Ron stuck some tape on his cat's tail and started recording. And, and it's, it's, he, he really, uh, he really made sure to capture exactly what his cat did. And I think it's credible because of it. And then, um, the ones you're talking about swimming underwater. Yeah. Ron and, uh, Cameron Fielding, had to work on some of that underwater stuff from Dragon One. So they got in their bathing suits, went to the pool, put their iPhone in a I don't know if it was an iPhone at the time. Whatever. Put their phone in a glass jar and and then submerged that glass jar underwater for a makeshift underwater camera. And they they made it happen. Underwater. And it was really great reference and, and it it made uh, it made the underwater animation so much more believable because it's weird stuff to animate. It's it's not something that you're familiar with as a land-based creature so much. On a personal level, seeing the film once it's done, what is that experience like for you? Because you spent years working on this product, and then, you know, boom, it's out. What yeah. is that like? Um, it's emotional. It's, su- it's often surprising in little ways, um, because they do some fine-tune editing stuff it's it's often the first time you're hearing the score the first time you're hearing all the final sound mix um and even though we work on it for years it's not frequent that we're watching the whole thing or sequences going into other sequences we usually work on it on a sequence level so whenever we do see a full screening even when it's in progress it's it is kind of a different it's it gives you uh sort of a different way of looking at it uh, when you see it as a big picture. And when you're seeing it done for the first time, all polished up, it's it's uh, it's new in some ways. 
which is one of the tragedies of working on this stuff is that you get to geek out about the new things way early and before they're necessarily even going to really be in the movie. Um, uh. And then you can never really see it fresh. You can never be surprised by it in major ways. So I had to kind of live vicariously through you guys who are, you know, all the fans that were excited about the movie coming out and guessing what was going to happen and theorizing and all that stuff. <laughs> that That's the kind of stuff that I like to do with other movies that I might be interested in seeing. And mm-hmm. so I kind of live vicariously through, through the fans because um, – I mean, honestly, I was just excited to see it, and um, I was just excited to read the first version of the script of Dragon 3, and um, I got teary reading it, too, because the ending still was pretty similar. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's hard to see a movie fresh when you work on a movie, uh, mm-hmm. but you kind of get a little bit of that when it first comes out, um, and seeing it with an audience that has not seen it before also kind of freshens it up a bit because you can appreciate where people are reacting, whether those be laughs or sniffles or whatever it is. Um, it kind of it reminds me how I I might have react, reacted where I did, had I not spent three years staring at it every day. Um, Was there on a, a similar note then is um, when you go to see movies that you haven't worked on, what what kind of a viewer are you? Are you the kind of person that you're like noticing things that they could have done better, appreciating the things that they did well? Like what's, what's your style when you go see other people's work? Um, I, I mean, honestly, even with our movies, often uh, first time I see it, usually first time I watch something, I let myself just go along for the ride and try not to get too critical about it. As long as it's, uh, something that's, able to bring me along for a ride. I mean, there's terrible stuff out there that it's hard to not to start <laughs> criticizing right away. But, um, I don't know, for... Yeah, I, just, I, I try to just be entertained. Man, went to see Endgame. That was the last last movie I went to go see in the theaters. And that was so much fun. I didn't, I didn't care if there was any plot questions or inconsistencies. I was just smiling the whole time. And everybody in the theaters you know shouting out yeah when certain stuff happens it was the most electric theater experience that that uh i had in a while had a similar experience with the hidden world when it came out and i went on release night to the imax theater because i figured only the people who really want to see this movie are going to pay extra for imax so on opening night so that was that was exciting too because you know, there was some grown-ass people with toothless plushies, and um, I, I loved looking around at the audience, uh, just how, uh, what kind of people were coming to the opening night of Dragons. A lot of them were my age, and then the, the, there was, sitting next to me, there was, like, a middle-aged guy, and his, I, I want to say, like, 16 or 17-year-old daughter, and... I was just thinking they probably have done this for each of the movies, you know, since she was a little girl. And I was like, oh, this is this is so sweet. <laughs> Do you watch a lot of animated movies in your spare time? Does being an expert in this change the experience for you? I know you say you like to immerse, but um, well, do you have higher standards for animated movies than other movies that you might watch? Maybe. Um, I 
don't catch all the animated movies that come out. I do catch the ones that are really interesting to me and feel like an event movie, sort of. Like, for example, right. Missing, Missing Link came out. And as an animator, I should probably support it by going and see it in theaters. And it looks like it's probably good. But I gotta be honest, I'm not in a huge rush to go to a movie theater to see it. I will happily wait for Missing Link to end up on Netflix. Um, well, it's so expensive to go to the movie theater. Right. You can't really so, see everything and still have right money left at the end of the month, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, but I saw Spider-Verse twice in the theaters. Because uh, that was uh, very oh, yeah. exciting for most animators. Very exciting. Um, so yeah, I see a lot of animated movies, but I don't really go there first. I don't, when I'm hanging out at night before I go to sleep and I want to put something on Netflix or something, I never pick animated movies. And I don't know if that's because I work in them and I think about them for 50 hours a week and, (laughs) or, and maybe it it might be a, a bit of this too, that I wasn't really a big animated movie fan as a kid. I was more drawn to this line of work by uh, the visual effects industries. So, you know, what ILM was doing with uh, the Indiana Jones movies uh, and then Willow and Jurassic Park and, you know, big, big monsters and stuff. That was kind of my... uh, my primary interest and I didn't really care about Disney movies too much. Once computer animated movies started coming out, I started to be more interested in them. I don't know why, but yeah. So basically my dream was to go animate at ILM and I end up animating dinosaurs with wings instead. (laughs) No, I just think it's really interesting to hear how people end up where they are because, you know, I feel like especially somebody who doesn't, work in animation or have any experience working in animation, they might assume that you get there because you saw, you know, insert Disney movie here on the big screen and it just changed your whole life. So it's it's really cool to hear about people getting places through different different routes, different journeys. Um, oh yeah. I mean when it and when it comes to animation as a profession, it didn't even occur to me until late high school um you know i had seen plenty of movies in my day i had a collection of vhs that had um behind the scenes stuff you know how they did it so i was Mm -hmm. well versed in how these people were making this movie magic but for whatever reason it never occurred to me that that was actually a job i could do i guess it kind of felt like yep they're already doing that so i can't (laughs) you know um yeah i was gonna be like a I was going to go into either quantum physics or genetics. Now I'm making cartoons. Well, as somebody who who did study physics in college, I think you made a a good choice there. (laughs) (laughs) Because quantum was a rough class. (laughs) Yeah, I I enjoyed that stuff too back in the day, but I don't know. It's, It's finding the thing that you enjoy once you beat the horse to death. Right. It's, I have lots of interests, but if I tried to make them my career and I dove really deep into them, they're not interesting anymore. So that's kind of the trick. Like I like money, but I wouldn't want to be a banker. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I always say I'm so glad there's people in the world that are accountants and, you know, financial people. I'm just really glad that they exist so that I don't have to be one myself. Everybody's got their thing. Yeah. And then and there's like me where it's like, I don't even like computers. And yet... <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> well, maybe you're drawn to that because you don't like computers and you want to tell I want to them change what to do. Them. Yeah, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. Stupid computer, do what I say. You are good Max at pointing out what's wrong with things, Max. <laughs> Wait, the, the two audio streams merged together and it's like, you're really good at pointing out what's wrong with me? And I was like, Wait. Wait. <laughs> Oh, I said Max just had his epiphany. Oh, okay. And I said, you're good at pointing out what's wrong with things. Oh, uh, okay. Not me. <laughs> All right. You're also good at pointing out what's wrong with with people. You're very supportive. Thank you. Okay. But anyway, uh, uh, speaking of, we talked about Spider-Verse, and, and I think this is a good point to bring in this question, which I don't understand, but maybe, maybe you can tell us about. Um, someone asked, uh, quote, how can you tell the difference between 2D and 3D animation? Ooh. I think it's well, a hard one, right? I mean, it's, can it's you a even? hard one. Well, that's a hard one. Let's let's as 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 strange as that question may seem, it may bring up a lot of really fascinating points of uh, conversation here. I think it's actually in some cases getting more and more difficult to tell the difference between 3D and 2D because you have some things that are animated in 2D and then colored to look really CG. And uh, I don't know, the Klaus short uh, that somebody made kind of had that appearance. And then you have Disney going out of their way to make their CG look like 2D with something like Paper Man. So that's starting to blend together a little bit. Or you have Spider-Verse where you're doing a lot of 2D techniques in 3D. And faking a lot of 2D techniques like the little lines that they drew or the, the lines they had on their their brow area. Um, so there are a lot of classical sort of 2D techniques they're implementing. So it's getting harder to tell necessarily. But generally speaking, one of them looks like it was drawn. One of them looks like it was rendered in a computer. Or are they asking, how can you tell the difference between a 2D movie and a 3D movie? That one is easier because one of them, they give you glasses. Yeah, I really don't know what they're asking. One of them gives you a headache and the other one... An extra dimension. The other one gives you glasses. (laughs) 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 That's very kind of you to say. (laughs) Yeah, of course. the, The one time when I insult all of animation is when we have someone here. When I said you were supportive, I spoke too soon. <laughs> no, I was just saying because I wear glasses and it's just never been easy to watch a 3D movie. Hmm. Putting glasses on top of my glasses and trying to like not lose my mind. Well, if you have an eyesight issue that allows you to have contacts, that is an option. You know, even when I wore contacts, it still was just kind of like... I don't know. Maybe my brain was like, I already have to deal with enough stuff, and now you're putting these things on, and I have to look at this movie in 3D. I don't want to. It's more just a personal. So problem. I mean, maybe. So I went into computer science because I hate computers. Maybe you should be a stereographer. 
I, I find the concept behind it like so interesting like to be able to trick someone's brain into seeing something in 3d tricks my brain in a way that gives it a headache it's sad it is a little bit i still will always remember as a kid going to <laughs> disney though and seeing they had a uh, bug's life 4d Ooh. and they like squirt liquid at you and that's like the stink but I don't even That's do. a little much. It oh! was a very immersive experience. That is a great segue into my very strange viewing of Dragon 3 in the theaters. Uh, I went okay. to uh <laughs> I went to the what do they call it? 40 MX something or other at the Chinese theater in Hollywood and there were two people in the theater. This is opening weekend, mind you. There were two people in the theater. Me and then some I, I want to say this lady in her mid fifties that looked not eccentric at all. She was just like a <laughs> totally normal middle of the road, mid fifties lady with hair that's kind of short. Anyway, we're both in this crazy theater with moving chairs and smoke and <laughs> strobe lights and water. And it was a weird experience. Um, I had to do it. I figured if I'm ever going to spend $30 on the movie ticket, for the crazy 40 experience. It's going to be How to Train Your Dragon 3. I feel like I missed out. You didn't. <laughs> no. So oh. you're saying maybe this wasn't the most authentic to the original. Or or um, am I wrong? Um. Okay, so around town they have these theaters that have a D-box screening, they call it, which is basically just the moving chairs. That was sort of the best part about the the super the super expensive one, the the chairs moving when they were flying with it, it felt pretty cool, but it was weird because the the chair would move when something was happening really far away, and so it was this weird disconnect where you were getting sort of a first person sensation of if you're seeing like Hiccup and Toothless landing a hundred feet away but you're sort of getting a first-person experience of it. That was weird. Um, the They advertised smoke. Oh, and they, they advertised um, scents. That's right. Yeah, there were even... It was for all the senses. There were... They had scents that they would theoretically spray at you at the pro- appropriate time. And um, there was one scene that was remotely flowery, but every other time... It was during some fire moment, and they would pump this horrible liquid smoke smell. (laughs) So I'm just being nauseated. And the thing with the smells is you can't make them vanish when the scene changes. So they went from some fire, and you're smelling this horrible smoke, and then it cuts away to some other nice thing, and you can't think about anything but this horrid smell. And there are other things like strobe lights for when toothless did his lightning trick (laughs) that sounds cool but what it really does is just illuminate the theater for a split second and it just reminds you you're not on work you're in a theater so Mm. anyway as an experience i would not recommend it for something you care about but uh i feel like that would have that would have been their opening to do like sweaty forge gobber where, like, oh. you get close to Gobber, and then you get, like, B.O. And they just <laughs> add a little it. bit of a little splash of water. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got splashed by water, I think, when 
Tough Nut, or somebody, I think Tough Nut got hit by a pie or something, and they got splashed with a little bit of water. But there was no water when they were flying into the caldera. I'm like, what's going on here? This is... (laughs) This is absurd. So the pie. I want to be wet. The pie. No water in the pie, but you get the water there. But when they're actually flying into a waterfall, yes. no spraying. No water. Desert dry. No. And they, they, advertised, they advertised fog. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be cool. It's going to get all foggy in here. Maybe it'll be foggy in the first sequence where it's full of fog. So foggy scene comes on. And four little nozzles under the screen go, tiny little cloud about the size of my head comes out. Lame. Oh, they blew it. <laughs> but the chair motion was pretty cool. Okay, how do we transition from sweaty gobber? <laughs> <laughs> there is no transition. That's where we are now. But on the the like four D. Writing a dragon note. I went to Dave and Buster's and they had some. It it was like you could fly a dragon, but it was some like knockoff of Game of Thrones. I think is what they were going for. But they had moving <laughs> seats. It was pretty fun. Um, you were on the back of the dragon, like shooting at zombies. So that was a little weird. But the actual <laughs> flying part was cool. <laughs> Maybe people just need to focus on that bit, like. Don't worry about the other details. Just do the flying part. We don't need the rest. Sounds good to me. We need more dragons and theme parks. Now that we were yeah. bought by Universal, yeah, definitely be a thing. Maybe we can compete with the uh, the Disney's uh, Pandora World or whatever they're doing. I mean, they already have a name for it, right? They can just call it the Hidden World. Yeah, yeah. you can fly around in the Hidden World. It starts yeah. as Burke, and then as you get deeper, you get—I don't know. There'll be some mist involved. I just can't believe there's not a Night Fury roller coaster at this point. This is our first episode. We should just yeah. I was about forward to this to Universal. I said I said there should be a, a forbidden friendship simulator where you get the raw <laughs> fish vomited up on you. <sighs> that would be great. True 4D. <laughs> so if you've got any contacts at uh, Universal who are interested in making a ride, should give email them Max's me information. Call me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the this question is kind of based on questions by Sarah Ruiz. I'm really sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. Um, And Forever Dragons. And they would like to know, what advice would you give to aspiring animators? Um, Let's see. Aspiring animators. Well, it depends on how how old you are, or not how old you are, but uh, I guess where you are in your artistic skills and career. But if you are, if you are still in school, pre you know before college, I would say draw, draw a lot. If you already like to draw, keep it up. Just draw, draw from life. Draw people. Sit at a cafe and draw people walking by. That kind of thing. If you're already in art school for animation. My advice would be um, work really, really, really hard. Uh, focus on it and do whatever you can to be the best in class. You know, um, some of that is some of that is just talent, and some of that is hard work. Um, but most of it is just mileage and experience, and just keep keep animating things, keep drawing things, and and your eye will improve and you'll get better and better. If you are at 
an art school that doesn't have a fantastic animation program and you're sort of learning some basics on how to use software, that kind of thing, I would recommend, if you want to actually specifically animate, moving the characters around, um, I, yeah, I would suggest there are some animation, online animation schools like Animation Mentor um, or Anim School, uh, things like that. There's some uh, good programs like that where you're taught by industry vets um, people who are currently still in the industry for the most part. And that is good because it is craft focused just on animation. And you're also making some connections with people who are in the biz. Um, and that's pretty valuable too. Uh, the reason why I said be the best in your class is because uh, if your goal is to work at a place like Pixar, DreamWorks or Disney or something like that, they can pretty much pick their favorites out of an entire year's worth of graduates. So I pretty much only see studios like this uh, hiring either star students or people who already have feature animation experience. So if you are an aspiring animator, you probably fall into the first category. Um, I did not go into a feature studio right out of college, I should say. Um, I wasn't ready. And I worked on some little things that nobody ever saw, uh, like Roach Approach, Don't Miss the Boat, the fascinating story of Noah's Ark told from cockroaches. And uh, for, for Wait, I do want to see that. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. Uh, there is one online that you can see that I worked on called Furby Island. It's... It's oh it's pretty horrifying. I think maybe give it a watch and uh, oh, we'll find and it. have nightmares. movie night. <laughs> yeah, Furby Island. I think that went on pay per view Nickelodeon. I didn't realize there was such a thing, but it was not aired for free. You had to buy it on pay per view Nickelodeon, and then it was also released on DVD, but only in Germany. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> what a journey! Yeah, and so. Um, and then after that, I worked on Barnyard, the original party animals. And then I worked on a movie called Battle for Terra, which was cool. It was a little, uh, indie sci-fi feature that actually went to, went to, uh, was, uh, in movie theaters and everything. Almost nobody saw it. I think it had a one and a half million total box office run. <laughs> but... Um, but those were all great learning experiences. And during Battle for Terra, I was able to afford sending myself to Animation Mentor. So I was animating 50 hours a week on Battle for Terra and then spending 25-ish hours at home uh, doing my Animation Mentor work. Um, I did not get much sleep during those months. and But... I learned a whole lot. I got to like go, going, getting animation instruction while you're also doing it at work was kind of cool because I could implement what I was learning in practice during the work day. Um, so I think it improved my skills. And I also uh, got to have instructors, uh, three out of four of them worked at DreamWorks. And the last one I had was Jason Schleifer, and he happened to be promoted to head of animation right after that class. 
and I guess I was able to impress him enough in that class to when they realized they were looking for some junior animators and he had a say in it, he, he suggested I apply. So, yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't to the what you sometimes imagine the people going to art school and then going right into a big studio. That happens pretty rarely, but uh, it was a long, long path, but yeah, made it in. Junior yeah. animator, yeah, 10 years, 11 years ago now. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your secrets and um, all the other fun stuff that we got to talk about today. Did we um, talk about secrets? We might have <laughs> talked about some secrets. It's, it's all been a blur. <laughs> it has. And if not, I can absolutely come back and talk about secrets. We would love that. Thank you so much. Before we go, is there anything that you'd like to say to the fans, the people out there who have been with Dragon since the beginning and have followed these characters and this work throughout the franchise? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I just want to say that I appreciate you guys more than you realize. And not just in the ways that, you know, oh, I'm glad you like it. Thanks for the support. No, I mean, I, I really appreciate you guys to the point where I'm um, making my days better while working on it by visiting Tumblr and seeing what kind of fan art you guys have done or what kind of uh, theories you might have. Um, you know, that, that kind of, that excitement helps keep me going during the hardest weeks, you know, remembering that I'm, I'm doing something that, that I love, but also other people really love too. And that, Everyone's really going to be really excited to see it, and I I got to make it as good as I can for them. Um, so yeah, you guys, all you guys and gals out there who uh, who love who love these characters, I'm right there with you, and I appreciate you. And to keep it going, even as the content starts to dry up, uh, keep making more of it because I want to see. It. And whoever sure made two, whoever made Tupless. Whoever you are, I, I see you and I appreciate you and I like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that is definitely a good one. Dean, thank you so much for joining us today. Anytime you want to come back, if you're ever bored, hit us yes, up. There's always do. a place for you here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. you know, uh, weird toothless shots that, you know, <laughs> want to share with someone. We're interested. <laughs> We're always uh, maybe. interested. We'll see.